welcome to Writing the Wrong Way, where we talk about how writing works, how writers work, and how the best writers risk being strange. So I'm talking uh, today uh, with GMB Kamichik, my uh, co-creator uh, of the comic The Eye Collector, out with Heavy Metal, uh, Virus Comics, uh, and with Justin Curry, also known the world over as Chasing Artwork. Uh, and the two of them are also uh, the creators of my you know, favorite podcast, Super Pulp Science. Uh, and we're all involved uh, together with some other uh, artists and creators in a comics anthology called Dead Work. Uh, and right now, as we're talking and as you know, you're listening to this, the Dead Work anthology is being kickstarted. Uh, and we need your you know, help kickstart it. It's in the final week. Uh, you know, we need that, you know, push over that uh, goal line. We need you and your friends uh, to spread the word of dead work and check out this awesome comics anthology. So if you go to deadwork.ca, that will take you to uh, the Kickstarter page. So you can check everything out. Um, if, you know, you're listing this in the future and it is, you know, uh, there's robot cars flying through the air uh, and the dead work Kickstarter has ended, then deadwork.ca will just take you to where you can get uh, the actual book or find out some more about uh, the group of artists here that we're you know calling calling ourselves the dead work collective uh but what i want to talk to you guys about today was not just you know what's the dead work anthology and what you know uh, why should people you know maybe kickstart it but also just sort of what you know you think kickstarter is there for uh and like what value it kind of has maybe uh, for artists and creators you know because you guys are both you know uh, full-time, you know, artist creators, you guys have done Kickstarters before, right? You know, I see, I'm talking to you on zoom and I see in the background, you know, Justin's dragon nanny, uh, poster on the wall and dragon nanny, of course, was his own, uh, you know, very successful Kickstarter. And so, uh, and I know just from talking to you guys that you've got other Kickstarter plans and progress. I'm curious to know just for maybe creatives listening to this who uh, are looking at Kickstarter or are looking at different ways of trying to, trying to get products off the ground or get things funded. You know, what do you think is sort of the ups and downs of uh, Kickstarter? Can I offer an operational definition at you there, Jonathan? Maybe I should say crowdfunding rather than Kickstarter, but that is what I was going to yeah. get at. It's sort of like saran wrap versus plastic wrap, mm -hmm. uh, Xerox versus photocopying, right? There are lots of different crowdfunding platforms, um, lots, and more now because of the controversy with Kickstarter possibly switching over to the blockchain. Um, so it is not uh, one size fits all. It's not just Kickstarter is the only place that you can crowdfund stuff. There are lots of different places and people should... Uh, check out all those options because they're empowering and there are lots of different creators who are seeking different crowdfunding platforms, almost the way that certain boutique uh, publishing houses offer certain kinds of things to certain kinds of clientele. That is kind of where the crowdfunding space has started to go. A thing to consider is that crowdfunding was the largest publisher of comics and graphic novels in the last two years bigger than Marvel or DC for the dollar value spent. Maybe not for the individual products, which is a real important distinction, like for the sheer number of units. 
Um, because when you're talking about a living wage, you want to be paid the lion's share as the creator, not uh, the mouse's share. The mouse's share versus lion's share. I like that distinction. And, uh, but yeah, I should, I should clarify, you know, I really am wondering more about crowdfunding and kind of how, you know, I know that, you know, you guys have both had, you know, longer careers at this point, right? Like you've been doing it for a while. You've been doing it independently. Um, although you've had, you know, worked with larger companies, uh, as well. It sounds uh, like an accusation when you say that. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm from an old, I'm the old punk guy, right? Like, like I come from like the punk background and I, what I would do is back in the day, you know, when I was young and uh, impressionable and, uh, I would go to punk shows, right. And I would be like at the punk show and I would be wearing like a button shirt and fucking, you know, I'd have no hairstyle at all. I'd have no tattoos, no piercings. I wear like a button up shirt and I'd be like, I'm the most punk guy here. Cause these fucking kids don't get it. They don't get, you know, they're all wearing the same shit. They're all doing the same thing. And they're all like, you know, they don't have their own, uh, they don't know what the indie spirit really is. You know, they're just kind of faking it till they make it. And, you know, that was a bit of a arrogant jerk thing, but that was the attitude I had. It was like, no, no. In independence is about doing what you want to do in the way you want to do it. Um, and what I think is interesting about crowdfunding, uh, like a lot of things in the last while, we've seen this kind of trend. I, I was listening to these old um, recordings I made the, uh, when I was younger and interviewing artists for like magazines. I interviewed Matthew Sweet and Frank Black. And uh, they had both at the time uh, just put out their first indie records. And they were talking, they were both like, so I'm literally calling them in their house, talking to them. I was talking to Matthew Sweet as he got a delivery at his house. And there's like three minutes where he like, I had to like make sure I locked the recording down a little bit. Cause they like, he like gave his home address. <laughs> I'm calling on his home phone number. He's like giving his home address to the guy, you know, filling out a form. And uh, so I'm like, well, I can't air this, but like um, uh, it was uh, interesting because they were kind of, talking about a lot of these things that then started to happen, which was these different trends towards um, the ability for an independent artist to actually have a real business model that wasn't going to get stamped and crushed by this, these larger industry players. Um, uh, and we've seen versions of that working and versions of it not working. Uh, but I'm curious right. to know like uh, how you've kind of have I, I know for both of you, although you've been doing this a while in different forms, you know, uh, by this point, you're both full-time and you've also have more recently, like it's kind of a newer thing to be moving into crowdfunding. So I'm curious to know like how you feel it fits into your sort of um, artist businesses for lack of a better way to put it, or even just your kind of artistic, you know, bent. I'm going to set you up a softball, Justin. And I'll let you knock it out of the park. Wouldn't it be true, Justin, that the convention circuit was and is crowdfunding, just not digital? We've been doing crowdfunding for 10 years before we started doing it digitally. But yeah, so here's, here's the big difference is 
crowdfunding is a pre-order system. It's basically a transparent store uh, for pre-orders. I'm making a book. It's almost done. I, I put together a trailer of it, enough work to, to make you believe as the consumer that it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. I'm going to finish it. And then you can, you can pre-order. And what's great about Kickstarter versus like a convention is I can, I can advertise my next book. Uh, let's say it's Dragon Any 2. I can advertise Dragon Any 2 at, at conventions for an entire year and people can be excited about it, but I won't necessarily get pre-orders. They'll just buy it at the show when it's ready. Um, but on Kickstarter, you get those pre-orders and you might get enough that you in fact get more than your budget. And now you get to unlock all these extra little things. That was the big appeal to Kickstarter for me is I might not just get my goal, but I might get X amount more than my goal. So now I can upgrade my cover. Okay, now I've got more. So now I can add more pages. Okay, now I've got more. So now, you know, I can make the book even more special. And that all those, all those cool upgrades were not available in my previous model of making books and that's what i always thought was the coolest thing about kickstarter is you your project might become 10 times cooler than if you did it just by yourself not knowing what those sales numbers are going to be now that you kind of get into a thing that is um specific to crowdfunding platforms which is or a specific way of approaching crowdfunding platforms right so i don't know if you're uh, really, like you're talking about, you know, here's a project that is basically done, but right. there's these material costs to realize it physically. So this is what mm -hmm. we're doing with the Dead Work Anthology, right? Like all those comics are done. We've designed the file. We just have to hit print on the file kind of thing. After we add like the list of people who funded it, you know, it's basically, right. it's all ready to go. But that's not all how you have to use crowdfunding platforms. And we've seen people no, not but... do that. Right. We've seen people do like, oh, I've got this idea. Right. Yeah. And they don't really don't necessarily do have a whole anymore. lot. It doesn't that, seem to be as common, but I'm just saying like. That used to be how crowdfunding worked. I have an idea. Do you like my idea? If you give me money, I'll do my idea. And like, anyway. How often did it happen? People with ideas don't do anything. What the Kickstarter community or the crowdfunding community, people who are used to pre-ordering products through Kickstarter, through crowdfunding, through Indiegogo, through um, what is that one? Craze or whatever. The um, audience now has been trained a little bit to know what is a good bet because you're betting a little bit and you got to bet on the jockey, not the horse. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you should look to people who have the project in hand and you're just going to pre-order it. The reason they're doing it that way and not like releasing it through a regular publisher is so that the majority of the um, uh, monetary involvement for their labor is theirs as it should be. And that's why they're putting it on Kickstarter. They've already done the work. They've done the sweat equity. It's there on the table. They've sent you a picture. They can show you the insides. That's how Justin does it. That's how I try to do it. That is how dead work was done. We're not um, selling a promise. We're selling a product. And we're doing our pre-orders through crowdfunding. It's not to say, though, that there aren't like straight up scams that have been run through Kickstarter. Um, a lot of products like uh, there was one where it changes like the pH balance of your uh, uh, laundry water. 
and this was a product, this was a scam product that had been like, uh, it was like an infomercial leftover scam. And then they came to Kickstarter with it and got huge amounts of funding, huge amounts of order. And of course, like the product is, it's, it's snake oil. It doesn't do what it says it's going to do. It's, it's a shit. It's a scam. Just some powder you throw in your laundry. They had right? one with like, oh, no, uh... it was like a little ball. It was like a physical thing that you're supposed to put in there and it'll magically make your normal water clean. Like it'll clean your laundry without any detergent, anything. Right. It was just, it was because complete... the water is doing it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Cause you don't need detergent, but uh, <laughs> that's actually kind of genius. I, uh... I wish I was a private investor in that company. <laughs> Forget about Kickstarter. But, but that's, that okay. makes me sad. And maybe like I'm just yeah. uh, a little, I, I pay attention to that stuff a bit more. But do you guys think the the trust in platforms like Kickstarter and Indiegogo and GoFundMe is getting, does it get tarnished over time and they yes. die and new ones pop up? I mean, I think. And, I, and where are we? I think, um what you've seen more and more recently is those things get found out and shut down by Kickstarter. But I think at the same time, so I don't think it happens as much. I think it's less prevalent because it's more competitive. There's more people and there's more money in that space. So like Gregory is is saying on one hand, there's just less people able to fund things that aren't properly realized or Mm -hmm. further along the path. You know, they just, people just won't fund it. But the other side of it, I think is Kickstarter will shut down the scams faster. They'll find them. Like Nintendo shut down one a little while ago. This video game was shut down uh, that didn't have the, these licensing rights it, it had a little while ago. Uh, but I think at the same time, what you're saying is true. Like because of the competition in the space, any single platform like Kickstarter is you know just starting to lose market share to other things. It's and, what happened and, with Netflix, right? Netflix yeah. used to be the only streaming game in town. Now everyone figured out that works. I don't know if it's and a matter so, of people losing trust in it, though. I think it's just a matter of like, there's you get other options that are maybe better for people. Like right. maybe their country has a like Kickstarter sucks in their country, or, but you know, Go, Indiegogo is good in their country or whatever. Like, or there's some like specific one or whatever. Yeah, just off the top, there's Kickstarter, Indiegogo, Crowd Supply, Experiment, mm-hmm. Shuffed, Patreon, Fundable, uh, WeFunder, Seed Invest, uh, Fundly, uh, Lending Club. Like mm-hmm. it goes on and on. There are a hundred you can look up right now. Yeah, so I think you get like there's a good and bad side of that competition, right? Uh, one thing is certainly that they start to lose the market share no matter what they do. Well. What happens is there's always a first mover who trains people on what the technology is. doesn't matter what it is. The first guy who sold a pencil, people are like, what the hell is this? Get out of my face, man. Right. But then when people saw it working, they're like, hey, these pencils, this is a great idea. Anyone wait, anyone can do this. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what's happened uh, in the crowdfunding space is that you just need um, enough money and venture capital to back a website that handles transactions because you're not actually fulfilling anything as a crowdfunder you're just taking people's money yeah it's a great south park episode about kickstarter which is uh i mean i like kickstarter don't get me wrong but uh, but it is almost 100 percent accurate the south park take on kickstarter <laughs> it's cartman well, basically creates go fund yourself which is <laughs> where a company that does nothing and just collects money from right. other people's ideas right now so All of those things, again, come down to what I said before, right? You're betting on the jockey and not the horse. Mm -hmm. You want to, if you're going through those platforms, 
it's very easy to do your due diligence. Someone says, hi, I'm so-and-so and I make such and such and I've done it before and I want to do it again. Well, you just go in and check and see if they've done it before. And particularly yeah. with books or graphic novels, the ISBN number proves beyond a shadow of a doubt whether that product has ever existed or will ever exist. Right. right. So that's um, the great thing about comics, about graphic novels, about uh, books in general on Kickstarter. There's some just luscious, incredible archive art collections and original art collections, just some great things going on there is that unlike the tech side of those companies, right, where people are like, I'm going to make uh, an electric shaver that crawls out of, you know, out from under your bed onto your face and shaves you. So when you wake up in the morning, you'll be great. And uh, it's like a Roomba for your face. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Right? This is the book is a thing that people understand. You can show that it's real. You can see it. You know what you're getting. Um, the audience is trained to understand what a book is. We don't have to convince people what a book is anymore. The same is true of pencils and the same is now true of crowdfunding. Millions of people now understand what is meant by crowdfunding. And so the barrier is not making the audience understand what the hell you're talking about. It's just getting the product to them in a way that makes sense to them. Well, so here, here's the other thing too, that I think is, it's not like the easiest thing to hear for people who are maybe starting out on Kickstarter is there is, there is a bit of a community on Kickstarter, but really the, the majority of, of your backers of the people who are going to be buying your product are people that you brought to your Kickstarter page that know you already that have been following you on Facebook and Instagram or, or on your newsletter list or stuff like that. That was something I was. I was really shocked about with, with Dragon Nanny. I thought, okay, I'm on Kickstarter. I'm going to have all these new customers find me through Kickstarter. And, and that did happen, but it was a very small slice of the pie. And even now with Dead Work, like we, we got the, um, the award Projects We Love, which means Kickstarter basically boosts our Kickstarter to like the, the front of the page and it, it promotes it a lot more. And I thought, okay, well now that Kickstarter community is going to like, you know, rain dollars upon us and still not the case we're still it's still our social media groups and our newsletters and, and our fans that are coming to kickstarter to buy the the thing it's the community is not going to do the heavy lifting for you it's still on you to to get people to go to that page well, it's still the it's still true that you know as much as the technology changes it's it, it's it's weird because <clears throat> i've been you know, over the last, you know, I don't know, last five to 10 years, I've been getting deeper and deeper into marketing and getting, you know, I do a lot of freelance work as a kind of marketing adjacent, you know, work uh, if that, and, and so on. And um, it, it's, it's funny, but like, it still boils down to word of mouth. Jonathan, I would describe it with you as a uh, uh, troubleshooter. You sort of in, find in troubles some ways, and then you I'm like a it sort of but like a lot of it's marketing or consultancy or i just do writing for it but like uh, what it's still weirdly true that <clears throat> what works is is word of mouth and sales letters you know uh, it's so weird but like it's still like you you get going to get the biggest bump online from sending an email to somebody uh to like your you know leads on your email list or better yet you know 
you are listening to this podcast, you tell your friend about the Dead Work Anthology. That's still like the thing. And, and it, as Justin says, it's very fan driven in that respect. It's people who already know that they can trust you and they like your stuff and they want, uh, because it's good to spread the word. You know, this is a really hard thing. I know you guys know it, but this is a really hard thing I find for younger artists or more newer, I should say, uh, whether they're old or young, younger, like newer writers or newer artists, it's really difficult for them to understand that um, there isn't a magic formula. It's about, you know, they have to do good work and put it in front of people. And then those people will drive its success or failure. And it's not about a magic marketing bullet. Like there's a saying in, in uh, advertising <clears throat> that great marketing makes a bad product fail faster. It doesn't turn it into a good product and it doesn't make it succeed. Yeah, absolutely true. And it depends on what, uh, what it is you're after. You know, people are trying to, everyone wants their golden ticket, but not realizing that it's just a lottery and the chance of winning the lottery is, uh, you know, almost zero but what the more we're trying you know, to do, tickets you have in there like right the more books yeah. you put out the more whatever the right. you know That's... you can kind of suss the numbers a bit get or juice the numbers a bit but but it is really what are you going to do like you can't control you those to... crazy that side of it i think you have to slice it kind of fine you have to ask yourself okay am i a creative person well yes do i want to express myself yes do i want to write a book yes uh, do I want to run it as a business? No. Well, then keep your job. Yeah. Exactly. You don't have to quit your yeah. job to write books or make things. You can just make as many as you can make while also having a job. And, and just because you're running it as fine. business, you don't have to do something you don't like unartistic. That's right. Absolutely true. You don't have to do it just for the money. You can do other things just for the money and not do your art just for the money. And you'll find yourself much happier. One of the things I say a lot on our podcast, and one of the things that I'm always aiming at is the idea of the living wage, right? Mm -hmm. You've said before, so I'll paraphrase you, that it's easy to make almost no money in the arts or a lot of money in the arts, but it's almost impossible to make a normal amount of money in the arts. Right. And my entire uh, sort of life energy in the last 10 years has been pointed at making a normal amount of money in the arts, a living wage. And I want to define that a little bit here. So when I say a living wage, I mean a normal amount of money. What does normal mean? Normal is that you can, the things you want, you can have, right? Well, the things you want are based on your values and your values are based on whether or not you think the world owes you anything. And so you have to ask yourself this at the beginning level. What do you think the world owes you? for your genius. And if the answer is zero, you will not, right, get yeah. all high and mighty on the idea of the winning lottery ticket. Instead, you will say, I'm going to work hard every day, just like everyone else works hard every day. And what I will get from it is a normal amount of money, right? Which is different for every person, what they think normal is. I am the happiest I have ever been, right? There have been times in my life where I've made vastly more money but I have created the days I want every day right now. And those are the days I'm living. And my wife and I are happy and my kids and I are happy and we have the things we want and need. So everything else is actually useless. Right? Best, 
Yeah. The best book marketer in the world is a guy named Tim Grawl. And what Tim Grawl was asked once, what is the thing that separates a truly successful, like best-selling author from, you know, someone who isn't successful in selling books? Uh, like what's the quality or the thing that they have that, you know, these other people don't. And he, he had to really rack his brains to think of it. Uh, he, he tells a story of like how, like he was asked to set a panel. He was asked to set a panel and he didn't read, he kind of fumbled through an answer, but then he thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. Cause he could, every time he had an example, he could think of somebody who didn't have that. It's like, well, you know, they work in this journal, but there's another person. And anyway, what he eventually realized was <clears throat> the way is that, the person, the truly successful author believes that you should buy their book. They have this belief that it would be better for you to own their book that, and to buy it than to not own their book and buy it. And therefore, they don't shy away from trying to, from telling you you should buy their book. Whereas these other authors who don't have that, they, they have an embarrassment about the book or they have some sort of, you know, hesitancy about uh, offering it for sale or something like, but they, they just, they just don't truly, they can't get behind it because they just don't believe in their heart that you should buy the book. And if they don't believe it, then why should you? Yeah. You immediately won't. thought Bible salesman. If he believes that <laughs> yeah. you need that book. Yeah. I mean, maybe they're wrong. And they've, they been, don't need the book, they've been a pretty successful model. You know? maybe, <laughs> yeah. They've sold a lot of Bible. It's word of mouth. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, I'll offer another layer to that. It's not just that you want people to buy your book because you know the book's just you, if you made a book theoretically you're proud of it and you might be nervous so you could find a marketer to do that the real difference between people who have best-selling books and people who don't is chance sure that i, I think that, that comes into play for sure the market which is made up of millions of human beings with their own um idiosyncratic beliefs and behaviors sometimes latch on to things that are popular but not good 50 shades of gray right or uh good but not popular hellboy right and it just depends on whether or not chance occurs to you so it is that lottery ticket so you shouldn't be holding out for the lottery you can buy a ticket i guess yeah. by making a book but if you just want to try to win the lottery buy a lottery ticket it costs you a buck and you don't have to write a book for a year yeah right. exactly if it's just about winning the lottery right but if you're trying to if you're trying to say something of yourself and leave it behind because your life will eventually run out and you want to have left some kind of mark be it uh ugly or beautiful then that's the reason to do it what happens to it after is a byproduct of having created the thing justin is a great example i'll speak about you justin and then you can defend yourself or you can uh, call bullshit um he works every day on making art and then there's a pile of art around him. And then he goes, huh? Okay. Well, I have all this shit. I guess I should build a website to sell it. I guess I should take it to shows. I guess I should do all this because I sure loved making it. But if I'm going to make more, I've got to put this art somewhere. You got to clear the deck before you can sail again. Yeah. You have to, you have to launch that product. You have to, you're right. Yeah. You have to send it out into the universe. Um, I heard there was a great, I don't know where I read it or heard it, but a book is like a boxer. And when you're making the book, it's like when you're doing the training in the gym, it's a training montage, you know, you're, you're doing the fundamentals and the basics and, and the combos and stuff. But once that book is out into the world, 
it's that fighter is in the ring on the fight. You can no longer, as the coach or as the maker, you no longer can control what happens after that. It's now up to the universe whether or not that boxer succeeds or that book succeeds. And I really like that, that, you know, I'm in here training montage. And hopefully, you know, I've got a Rocky on my hands or a Bible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you can market it in a sense, but like there's this level at which your marketing is just trying to get people to give it a go. And then it'll determine it's, it's quality or some ineffable aspect of it will determine whether it succeeds over time. Uh, no, we're know. caught up. I don't really like using it, but since we've brought up the Bible twice or maybe three <laughs> times now, what you're talking about, Jonathan, are the evangelists. Once yeah, it exists, exactly. there'll be someone standing on a street corner saying, you know, as it is written in the book of Harriet, you must come before me. These exactly. people, right, are willing to shout about it to strangers, right? That's because something in there speaks to them. So yeah. what, what, Gr- what Grawl says, like, again, just to invoke that mark there again for a second, his, his like, rule of it is, like, you need to um, get his sort of, t- again, he's talking books. So his thing is, like, you need to market and be- you need to believe in this thing or don't do it, <laughs> right? Do something else you believe in. But once you've done it and you truly believe in it, you need to like get out there and like kind of beat the street and, and ex- get people to read it. Because what you want, he's, his point of view is like, what you want is you want about 10,000 people to read this thing. If you can get about 10,000 people to read this thing, uh, then word of mouth will take over and you don't have to market right. it anymore. What's, what's kind of tough about that statement though is as, as we all know, while making a book, oh, it's tough. <laughs> you are going to fall in and out of love with that book over and over and over again. You're going to doubt yourself the whole time. You're going to, you're, you, you believe in it the most at the very beginning when no work has been done yet. That's when you think it's the best thing in the world. And that's and when everyone wants to kickstart their into stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> like, oh, I got a million dollar idea right here. But by the end, that imposter syndrome and those doubts and like, is this great? Isn't it? I don't know. I've been looking at this thing for the last, you know, however many months or weeks or even years, you're, you're full of a, full of a lot of doubt. So it's hard, especially like artists who are usually a little more introverted to begin with to then, you know, tout this as the next big thing when they're so full of, did I do a good job or didn't I? See, I think you put it perfectly, Justin. But I would add, but so what? That's accurate, but that's just the Double fucking down. state of the world. Yeah. And like, yeah, it's hard. Yeah, we all doubt everything all the time, <laughs> right? But if you can right. imagine the bad version, you can imagine the good one too. But what his point is like, what separates the successful person from the unsuccessful person, it, partially it's luck, of course, Gregory, but is like, they're willing to do it anyway, even though it's hard. Yeah. Like you're willing, Justin, you've, despite like maybe feeling like an imposter sometimes you'll go out there and, you know, stand at the booth. Is that why it's good to have a marketing, like other people involved with the project? They can be your hype men. They can be your marketing team. They can be the ones shouting it from the rooftop. So it's not just on you because sometimes that comes off as like a little, you know, it can come off as arrogant or like this guy thinks he's the greatest, but like, it, yeah. You know, like, but it only comes yeah, off that way if you're not the greatest, cool. Justin. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because once they see like your Gundam, they're like, oh, fuck, this guy is the greatest. 
You know what I mean? Like if you were drawing stick figures, like what I draw and I, if I was trying to get you to buy my fucking, my Gundam, then it would, I would be arrogant. You're just uh, confident. Cyanide and happiness think they're the great. And they kind of like cyanide and happiness made that work. Right. They do. Stick yeah. Figures, shitty drawings. Like you can make shitty drawings. Monumental. Work, but that's not but your you know what's like, underneath like, it is <laughs> razor sharp wit. If you have razor sharp wit under your- Yeah, they're not trying drawing, to tell you it's well drawn. Yeah, that's right. Then you can, you know, that's the thing. And that with comics, now it comes right back around to the idea of comics. Comics are words and pictures. So if, and, and art is not the same for everyone, does not have the same value for everyone, does not have the same emotional connection for everyone, neither do words. But when you put the two together, you're playing with three lottery tickets. Someone might like the writing. Someone might like the pictures. Someone might like the space between that is created, the new idea that is created when the word and picture are together. A spark happens in their imagination that they would not have otherwise had if they were separate. And so that's where, I mean, and even me, I'm in my own hype land now because this is what Justin's talking about. When you're talking about the creative process, you get excited at the possibility of what can come next because you are discovering it along the way. Think of the pages that you and I have worked on, Justin, or you and I have worked on, Jonathan, that are so much better than anything we imagined. But first we had to believe in our starting point so much that we got excited to start. Okay. And then only when we put our powers together, by our powers combined, something special happened the honeymoon stage of the project yeah you need you know you need to fall in love a little you need to have candle lit dinners you uh, moonlit walks on the beach right um a passion the couples therapy that's right <laughs> so that you can survive couples therapy which is the making of the book that's right you gotta think you back to, to those better times yeah right remember when i was so excited in the beginning <laughs> well we did that we captured that how many times did we come back to the beginning and say, okay, well, we're going to rewrite the whole thing. But what we didn't throw out was how excited we were by the concept, right? So we kept working on the relationship. I'll tell people to literally, <laughs> like, this is why I tell, I really encourage writers to make outlines. But I'll, I'll also tell them, like, I've started the outline, write down before you write anything else, like, why you want to write this book. Why does it matter? And it's got to be like a real uh significant reason like people will say things like well you know i want to um you know well i want to tell a story about a zombie it's like but why do you why do you need to tell the story about a zombie because it's not enough because the second that you don't like the zombie anymore you don't need to tell the story yeah and i always say that introspection should be your reason for writing or creating you should be doing some self-archaeology so that you have a reason to show up every day it doesn't matter if you're writing a story, you know, like Backbone of Night will be out soon. And it is a story about a uh, father and son navigating a robot apocalypse. There is so many near murder scenes. Is that it, it's it's the genre is making the form. And so I am pushing the form. But the reason to show up at the desk is to say, what is my relationship with my own father? What is my relationship with my own kids? What is the indelible fact that parents die due to a relationship if parents and children accept it early on what does that do right and then and then i can go and i can think about those things while i'm writing about the story and that 
if the book is not a success, if people don't like it, if they don't like how I wrote action, if they don't like how I drew a robot, it doesn't matter because what I needed to get from it, I got. And because the working model is making a normal amount of money, not everyone has to buy a copy. I found a way to bring this back to Kickstarter. Everything you're talking about, Gregor, like all the elements of that project that you that you really love and that you want to highlight. Um, Kickstarter has been kind of great for me with my new like my new book, because I get to in the campaign of the Kickstarter, I get to highlight all those great little elements that that I love about the project. And if I was just launching this at a Comic-Con, people couldn't read about how the Iron Giant and Final Fantasy VII inspired this story and how the earlier version looked like this and how um, like here are some like all these you get to write like a huge news article on how the project started, why you love it, all the reasons you love it, all the, the comparable titles. Like you get to put together this amazing press release that people scroll through before they decide if they want to read it or not. And in the real world, you might have all that stuff in the back of the book. You might be able to like get them with like, you know, one or two Facebook posts or, or something like that. But you get to distill all that great energy into the campaign. And so I've been, while I'm working on my new book, I'm also chipping away at the Kickstarter and like all those things that you just said, I'm making like little, I'm making writing little articles about that to have in the campaign to get people really, really excited about a book that doesn't quite exist yet. And that's what like another aspect I've really liked about this whole kickstarting a book process, all the behind the like, scenes. What I like about what you're saying there is uh, I, I really believe that people do, um, everything like they do small things. And for the dear listener who doesn't know Justin, he works in Vector. He's basically forced a program to output art it was never designed to create and it does it flawlessly and beautifully, right? And here you are talking about Kickstarter. It's designed to do a certain kind of thing. And you're saying, okay, but if I put this and this and this in here too, it will produce a different effect than people are used to seeing there which is the um, story of creation. You know, come to your boxing analogy. It's the tale of the tape. You're putting it on there right, right up yeah, yeah. front, right? People get and to watch the training montage. That's right. You get to watch the training montage, which is honestly, I would like to now with this in mind, go back and scroll through all my favorite um, crowdfunding campaigns and see which ones connected with me based on the fact that there was a tale of the tape versus here's just the product. Right, right. right. Well, let's just kind of bring this back to the dead workbook as a sort of way to kind of connect all these dots, but also maybe kind of wind down a little bit here. Um, so what is it for you guys that uh, is that thing for dead lyric? What's the big why, you know, why you want to be involved in this project, why you think it's so cool, why somebody should go to deadwork.ca and, you know, throw their hat into the, ring and help it become a reality uh because people working together to make art is amazing it's like a rare and precious jewel in this um just so heavily saturated gig focused money obsessed crypto bro world that just some people getting together to express a story which is only promising you one thing. It's going to take you to another universe for a short time. 
And it will deliver on that promise, no matter whether you liked it or you didn't like it, you're going to go somewhere else. And I think that that is the beauty of books as a product is that they'll always deliver on the promise of taking you somewhere else. When I think of dead work, what got me excited is it's kind of like, you know, there was a, a warehouse fire and all these film canisters that were going to be recycled or that were never going to seen by people were dredged up and made into an anthology, you know, creature feature, which you now get to see. And nobody's seen them before. They've, they weren't going to be ever shown, but now we've stitched them all together and have this great new unique thing all by itself from the ashes of all these other projects Because honestly like where you know my contribution came from was a a story that was you know not really seen and wasn't going to go anywhere and um didn't it couldn't go anywhere by itself but now because it found a place with all these other great little stories uh what do you call it a charcuterie board of horror and sci-fi and yeah, or a really haunted cool. mixtape. Oh, but I like haunted your Frankenstein monster of dishing yeah. together, you know, the, yeah. the pieces to make this yeah. brute because... force uh, that's going to take over the comics industry in Canada. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, okay. So what is the book actually? Right. To me, it's a little mini movement of like these these people who have been kind of working together and these different ways. But until you kind of really start to gather it, you don't really see the momentum that maybe you know, I'm hoping this group has and how, you know, it's, uh, you know, there's just, I feel like we're, you know, maybe the elder statesman of the project in the sense that, you know, Justin less so, but like in the sense that we're like older and, you know, there's these younger dudes on our heels here. And, you know, I, I feel like they're coming up strong, you know, and I feel like the, sure. the anthology is really showing a, like it's, it's, I feel like it's the early point in a kind of a momentum that's going to kind of, you know, make some big splashes here. And I think it'll be exciting for people to look back on this book on their shelves and think, oh, you know, that's Zach Schuster when he was just uh, starting out with this thing, or that's, you know, uh, the laundry men's first story, you know, right. et cetera. And, and for the dear listener who still hasn't um, looked up deadworks.ca, the, it's 22. Dead Work is 22 weird comic stories in 144 pages. Some are little micro sparks and some are longer form storytelling, but it is just writers and artists doing their thing like a uh, channel changer is switching between imaginations uh, through science fiction, horror, fantasy, comedy, uh, comedy, horror, uh, you know, there's, it just, it's awesome. The other thing that got me really fired up the other day is, uh, in, in Manitoba right now, we're starting to, the event is, is dying down a bit and we're starting to open up book launches are a thing again. So the idea that we all get together with, um, the other Winnipeg creators in this project and maybe have a book launch for dead dead work at some point oh so excited it's been years since we've been able to launch a book i know well and it all comes a, down again to why we did it <laughs> it's a community of people trying to make something um and come together in spite of the fact that we've all been separate 
right? And that's sort of like the driving force underneath the project is the context of when it was created. It was hard for us to get together, but it wasn't hard for us to put our work all together. Uh, we have to be six feet distant, but our pages can be pressed together in that in that book. And so you get this, uh, you know, the, the sense of the crowd, the sense of um, camaraderie that comes from all being in the same table of contents. Uh, I can have said it better. Uh, you know, thanks to the two of you for, you know, your thoughts, uh, your kind of, you know, some of the advice I think that kind of is in there for, you know, creatives who are considering crowdfunding. Um, and also, uh, you know, words on the Dead Work project, Dead Work Anthology of Comics, deadwork.ca. All that great stuff Gregory was just talking about uh, on display there. You can actually see, you know, some actual pages from this thing. And like Justin was saying, this thing's ready, is done. Uh, I guess done, it's ready to go to print. What we're trying to crowdfund is the printing costs uh, to get some of your physical copies to you and in your you know, hot little hands. Uh, so you can, you know, be the first to have uh, some of these great, you know, amazing little Frankenstein monsters. Uh, so check out didwork.ca. Uh, thanks to you, Gregory and Justin, and to everyone listening. Keep writing the wrong way. Yeah.